Y'all doing well this morning? I still can't hear you. Okay. At least pretend like you're excited. Come on. <laughs> well, we're going to continue our study of the Lord's Prayer. Um, Matthew chapter 6. Beginning at verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father would also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you yours. Well, when you, when praying, reading, or studying the Lord's Prayer, you know, one thing is clear, one thing is evident, and it, it's all God-centered. It's all focused on Christ. The first half of the prayer, you know, is definitely God-centered. It's about His holiness, His kingdom, His will. And even the second half of the Lord's Prayer, which deals with our needs, is also God-centered. The meeting of our needs is a work of God. It's a mighty work of God. His provision gives us our daily bread. And last week we saw that His mercy leads us to repentance. Forgive us of our debts. We plead the fifth petition. Why? Because we still struggle with indwelling sin. We still battle it as believers. But Jesus does something else with this petition that he doesn't do it to others. Have you noticed it? It's like he adds a condition to it. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. What's up with that? What do you think? Now, he doesn't stop there. He adds more wood to the flames. He says in verses 14 and 15, If you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive yours. Wow. That's up in your face. And what do you do with that? Those are tough words. But Jesus gives us an understanding of sin and repentance and forgiveness that we often overlook. Remember, I always say everything is balanced. Got to have balance. Can't be too far over here or too far over there, but balance. Even with this petition, there's balance that Jesus wants us to have. Let us pray. Father God, I do pray, um, as I always pray, that you will be glorified. You will be lifted up. You will be made great. I will decrease. And it's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about who we are, but it's about our kingdom. And I pray that the Spirit will come and take these words and apply it to our hearts. If He doesn't show up, nothing happens. We're just going through the motions. And so, Spirit, we pray and beg you to come and apply the Word of God to our hearts and to our lives. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So we are to forgive others their sins against us. How are you doing with that? Is it easy? Is it easy? 
Can you just walk out of here and say, I'm going to forgive everybody that sins against me today? Can you just, is it really that easy? No, it's not. It's hard. But Jesus makes it it's clear. There's a clear connection now between the forgiveness I receive from God and the forgiveness God wants me to extend to others. There's a connection there. And we're going to talk about that connection this morning. Because if God has forgiven me of all my sins, he also wants me to forgive others. Other believers, non-believers, and even my enemies. Even my enemies. What does Jesus say? If you would not forgive others their trespasses, neither would your heavenly Father forgive you. Paul says in Ephesians 4, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Forgive me my debts, O Lord, as I also forgive my debtors. You see, last week we, we talked strongly about personal sin. It's an issue of the heart. That when a person receives Christ as their Lord and Savior, God gives that person a new heart. He removes the heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh. A heart of flesh is a repenting heart. A heart that is able to repent. Before you became a Christian, you never repented because you didn't see you were sinning. But the heart of flesh allows you to repent of your sins. Because of God's mercy, the kindness of God leads us to repentance. And the same mercy and the same forgiveness also should give us a forgiving heart as believers. A repenting heart and a forgiving heart. Do you have a forgiving heart? Do you have the desire to forgive? Or do you hold fast to an unforgiving heart? Where are you this morning in your relationships with other people? Relationships with those who have hurt you, betrayed you, slandered you, stole from you? Are you holding on to it? Or have you truly forgiven them? Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 15. He says, but out of the mouth proceeds from but from out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. It's always a heart issue. This defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, theft, sexual immorality, slander. Who do you think evil thoughts about? Other people. Who do people murder? Other people. Who do people slander? Other people. Who do people bear false witness against? Other people. Who do people commit adultery with? Other people. So the Bible is true that our sin is against God, but it's also against other people as well. We sin against other people. And so we are, at the same time, people who repent and people who need to forgive. Repenters and forgivers at the same time. Or let me say it this way. You are a predator. Because you sin against other people. And you are a prey because you also are sinned against. The prey and the predator, the same person, the same time. That's who we are. Lord, forgive me of my debts, my sin, and help me forgive those who sin against me. The repenter and the forgiver at the same time. That's who you are. Jesus says in Matthew 18 that, let me get there. 
He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his faults between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Someone sins against you, go talk to the person alone. But if he refuses to listen to you, take one or two others alone. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the whole church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and our tax collector. Know this. Jesus loves reconciliation. He does not want us to live in the lives not fellowshipping with other believers, not forgiving other believers. He loves reconciliation within his body. He loves to see people reconciled. God was glorified when Mark reconciled with his dad. And he is glorified when you reconcile with those who have sinned against you or sinned against you greatly. There's a process to reconciliation. What is the first one? Go to the person first. If he don't listen to you, take others with you. If that doesn't work, tell it to the whole church. And if that doesn't work, what does he say? Let that person be as a Gentile or tax collector to you. Is that easy? Is that easy? I wish it was. Forgiveness is hard. And some of us are like Peter, because when Jesus told this, Peter comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, how often would I, my brother sin against me and I forgive him? How often? If someone sins against me in the same way, how often do I supposed to forgive that person? How often should I extend mercy to that person? person. Peter said seven times. Jesus said to him, I did not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. What does that mean? It means every time they sin against you, you are to forgive. That ain't easy unless something's going on in your heart. And Jesus, being Jesus, tells another parable about what it means to truly forgive someone. How often are you supposed to forgive someone? He says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, all that he had as payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, pleading with him, Have patience with me. I will pay you everything. And out of pity on him, the master said to the servant, He released the servant and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out and found one of his servants who owed him a hundred pieces of silver, he seized him, began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay. He refused and went to put the man in prison until he should pay. When his fellow servants saw this take place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have also had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? 
And in anger, his master delivered him to the jealous until he should pay all of his debt. And so also my heavenly Father would do every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Now that's harsh. If you do not forgive your brother from from your heart. The servant here had a huge debt, a million dollar debt. To, this, to his king. He pleaded with him. Have patience with me master. And I will repay you. And the same servant. Who was just forgiven. Of his own sin. Found one of his fellow servants. Who owed him a lesser amount. And refused to forgive him. Had him thrown in jail. And the king hears about it. You wicked servant. I forgave you all of that debt. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant? The same mercy I extended to you. All believers, if you're a believer in Jesus, all your sin has been nailed to the cross. Your debt to God has been paid in full. And what that means for your life is that when others sin against you, you are to forgive them of their sins against you. John Piper says, That God's forgiveness, the forgiveness that he gives us, is underneath our forgiveness. His forgiveness creates our forgiveness. His forgiveness supports our forgiveness. His forgiveness is on top of ours. Because I'm forgiven, I can also forgive. And he says, if you continue to have an unforgiving spirit, what it shows is that God is not here. That if God is working in my heart, and if I know Jesus, if I'm not able to forgive a person, then I at least want to forgive them or take steps to forgive them. I'm not going to continue to hold on to it. Forgiveness is not easy. It takes the Spirit working in us. But we can, through God's Spirit, forgive others. Now we see this in the life of Jacob. Jacob was a predator Because he deceived his brother Esau out of his birthright and his blessing. He did. The word says that that one day while Jacob was cooking some stew, some good old stew in the kitchen, Esau came in from the country, tired, sweaty, hungry, starving for some food. He said to Jacob, give me some of that red stew. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright first. Esau says, look, I'm about to die. What good is the birthright if I'm going to die? Swear to me first, Jacob said. So Esau swore oath to him, selling him his birthright. And Jacob gave him some bread and stew. He ate, he drunk, he got up and left. And so Esau despised his birthright. Esau, Jacob was wrong for that, right? Did he not sin against his brother? He did sin against his brother. And so, secondly, what did he do? He deceived his daddy into thinking he was Esau to get the blessing. Now we all know Jacob was the child of promise. We know that. But this is clearly sin. There's no way around that. This is clearly sin. He stole his brother's blessing. He took it. And Esau said, isn't he rightly named? He has deceived me twice. 
He stole, he took my birthright, and now he's taking my blessing. Esau held a grudge against his brother. Can you blame him? Listen to what he said. To, listen to what he said. Remember this statement from Esau. He said, the days of mourning my father are near. Then I would kill my brother Jacob. Remember that. So Jacob knows about this. And so Jacob's mom helps him to flee to a place of safety. Really, really wasn't a place of safety. So he goes to Laban's house. And what happens to Jacob at this place? The predator becomes a prey. He finally met someone who's a much better deceiver than him. Everything does go full circle. But God even protected Jacob through that. Through all those hardships he suffered. But what about his relationship with his brother Esau? What was going to happen with that? God eventually called Jacob to go back to Canaan. Go back to the land of his father. And Jacob went... But Jacob was afraid. Why was he afraid? Yes. He didn't know whether or not Esau was going to still kill him. He was afraid, scared, man, because he knew what he'd done was wrong. And so he didn't know if his brother was going to get revenge. So years has passed. Jacob has a huge family by now. I mean, years have passed. And he's still carrying this. Because if he, if he wasn't carrying it, would he have been afraid about it? No. And so they finally meet. What does Esau do? Remember what he said. The days of mourning my father are near. Then I would kill my brother Jacob. That's what he said the last time he saw him. And they meet again. And look at this picture. Esau runs to meet Jacob embraces Jacob, throws his arms around his neck and kiss him, and they wept. Why? The brothers are reconciling. That's why. Jacob, even in some sense, wanted to give back the blessing he stole, offered his brother a gift. Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, no. Please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes. What does that mean? If you have truly forgiven me, accept this gift. For seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. What does that mean? This is what he told his brother. Seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. Why? Because he knew his brother had forgave him. The weight has been taken from his back. Seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. He says, please, Esau, accept my gift. For God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And Jacob insisted, and Esau accepted the gift. Reconciliation. What do you see here? That God was at work in both of their lives. To get to that place. You don't get from, I'm going to kill my brother to kissing your brother overnight. Do you? No. So, I mean, something has to take place in someone's heart to get to the place where I'm going to kill you the next time I see you, brother, to I miss you, brother. 
I embrace my brother. I'm going to kiss my brother. I'm going to weep with my brother. Reconciliation took place. God was at work in both of their hearts. How do you know if you truly forgive someone? Listen to what one Christian says. When all striving against revenge, when you strive against all thoughts of revenge, when you would not do your enemy harm but wish them well, you grieve at their suffering, you pray for them, you seek reconciliation with them, showing yourself ready on all occasions to relieve them. That's forgiveness. Not seeking revenge. Not wishing them harm. Seeking reconciliation. That's what it looks like to forgive someone from the heart. One Christian counsel says, forgiveness can be defined in three terms. Reconciliation, bold love, and revoked revenge. Forgiveness. Now go out and do it. This is pack up and go out and do that. Can you do that? No, man, I wish it was that simple. I wish it was all black and white. Because, you know... I'm not looking at this through a rose-colored glass because there are certain things that are a lot easier to forgive than others. Would you agree? It's easier to forgive someone of slander than it is for someone of murder. Do you agree? You see, the more heinous the sin done to you, the more severe the damage wounds it creates in you. The more heinous the sin done to you, the more severe the damage and the wounds it does to your heart and soul. It, that's just the reality of it. And that makes forgiveness hard. And forgiveness doesn't mean you can't get angry about the sin. You should get angry about it. And forgiveness doesn't mean there are no consequences. Forgiveness does not cancel out consequences. If you commit murder, you, still, you be, we will be forgiven, but you're still going to jail. So don't confuse it. Forgiveness doesn't mean there are no consequences for your sin because there are. If you commit adultery on your spouse, you're going to lose your family. Your wife and God will forgive you, but you're going to lose them, probably. Consequences are never eliminated. But you still can be healed of those through Jesus. But you still got to live with them. But there is healing. So there are consequences for the offender, and there are also consequences for the victim. When, it, when the sins are so heinous. You see, many people come into the Christian faith with a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. And some of you right now are probably living with that. For people um, and believers who have severely been hurt and sinned against, forgiveness takes a long time to occur. I mean, it, 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 there's no quick fixes for someone who's been severely hurt. Go forgive them. It's not that easy. It doesn't work that way. Forgiveness becomes a process of healing, and it takes a spirit working in that person. Because if someone who's been sexually abused, forgiveness is going to be hard for that person. Emotional abuse, physical abuse, abandonment, discrimination, oppression, murder, victims of a hate crime or rape. Are those things easy to forgive? Are they easy to forgive? They're not. And if you are suffering like this, or you know someone who has suffered like this, you have a wounded heart and soul. 
And just because you become a Christian doesn't take that away overnight. It doesn't. Your soul has been beaten. Your soul has been raped. And so you live in fear. You live in shame. Some of you live in guilt. Your worst nightmare, it was never a dream. You lived it. And some of you probably still live in it. Others of you, other people, they, they pretend like the abuse never happened. The crime never took place. So they suppress it. They try to hide it. But the memories are too painful. These are how some people live now. Christians live this way. You probably know some who live this way. Then you have others who, who are bitter, angry, distrustful. They have rage. Walls of self-protection are around their souls. And they were defended to the death. No one's getting in. No one's getting close again. Ever. And what do you do with a wounded heart? What do you tell that person? Oh, just believe in Jesus. Everything will be okay. Forgive and let go. No. If you have been hurt that badly, I want you to know that Jesus cares about what happened to you. And it's not your fault. I want you to know that. I want you to know that. You see, I want you to look at these. Some of you have seen me do this illustration before. Take a look at these two books here. Let's say this book here represents all of our personal sin. Because all people are sinful before God. All people have fallen short of God's glory. And all people are equally sinful before God. And then you have this book. This is what Carl Ellis calls alien sin. What is alien sin? Sin placed upon you by other people. Some of us have this amount of alien sin. Some of us have smaller amounts placed on us. And so what happens when you compare when a person is dealing with their own sin and the sin that's been done to them? That's their life. This is what they're dealing with. Their own brokenness and what other people have done to them. If a lady's been sexually abused, this is her life. She's dealing with this and she's dealing with that. And she don't have no answers for how to get healed. What do you tell that person? How do you deal with alien sin on top of your own personal sin? What do you do with it? You see, one of the mistakes we make in a lot of our churches is that when we talk about sin, we always talk about the personal aspect of it. It's important because we have to know that we're sinners to, to come to Christ. But we always stop there. But we fail to realize there's a lot of people in our churches who have been sinned against greatly. They are beat down. They have been hurt. And they don't know how to get free. Their whole outlook on life is seen through what has happened to them. Their hearts are broken. And quick spiritual fixes ain't going to help them. Just telling them to forgive ain't going to help them. Telling them just to forget the past isn't going to help them. You can't forget the past. And just because they're a new creation in Christ doesn't mean they're still not dealing with that. And we have to understand this in ministry. 
Because there's a lot of people you're going to meet that have been hurt badly. And if you give them sugar-coated answers, quick fixes, that's not what they want to hear. That's not what they need to hear. I had a friend in college who, who was sexually abused when she was a kid. When she was a kid. When she told me that, I'm like, I didn't know what to say. My heart was broken, and I still didn't know what to say. And she was constantly dealing with that. It hindered her relationships with guys. It hindered our relationship because she didn't trust me because she was still dealing with what has happened to her. She was in counseling, constantly trying to find healing for that. And pain like that stays with a person until they get on the path of healing. And it's not easy to get there. And see, I want to be a church in which people like that know we're going to love you. We're going to be part of the healing process. We're not going to give you quick fix answers and say, hey, forget about it. It's the past. No, Jesus never does that at all. You can never put white out over the abuse someone went through. You cannot do that. You cannot do that. Can't not give quick fixes to generational pain, generational hurts. They want freedom. How can they get freedom? Matthew says, and Matthew says, and Jesus says in Matthew eleven, "Come to me, all who labor, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me." For I am gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Cast all your cares on Jesus. Why? Because he cares for you. You may say for yourself, what does Jesus know of pain? Where was Jesus when all that stuff was happening to me? Hmm? Have you ever thought that? Said that? Jesus knows what it means to suffer. Why? For he was beaten and he died a criminal's death on the cross. So he knows what it means to hurt and he cares for, for you and the hurts that you went through. And Jesus gives you freedom not just from your own personal sin. He gives you freedom from this as well. Freedom from this as well. And the illustration that Carl Ellis uses is that what happened to Israel when they left Egypt? What started to come to the surface when they left Egypt? I want to go back to Egypt, Moses. You brought us out here to die, Moses. What happens when people aren't free from this? This is all they see. This is all they see. What has happened to them? The oppression, the discrimination, the rape. The abuse. So you help people get away from this so they can see this. That's what the gospel does. It deals with both of these. And we as a church, have to deal, we have to deal with both of these as well. The gospel frees us from our personal sin and it frees us from our alien sin. So we can be healed. And here's the thing about forgiveness. It's healing for you. Remember the, 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 the Lord's Prayer, the second half of the Lord's Prayer is, is dealing with our needs. Our needs for daily bread, our need for forgiveness, 
and our need to be able to forgive others. Because when you forgive someone, it's water for your own soul. That's a need. And God helps you to forgive others. And it ain't easy. For some of us, it's a process that we have to get to. But if the Spirit of God lives in you, you will get to a place where you can forgive those who have hurt you deeply. That will occur through the power of God's Spirit. And so, forgiveness is part of our healing process. It is. In his book, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis says, It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature in which you now would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else that same person could be a horror and a corruption in which you can only see in a nightmare. He says all day long, in some degree, we are helping each other to one of those two things. A creature that we will worship or a creature that we fear. Where are you leading people toward? Where are you leading your spouse toward? Where are you leading your kids toward? It's going to be one of those two things. Let us pray. Lord, forgiveness is never easy. And if it's left to us, then we'll never forgive. But the good news of the gospel, Lord, is that your spirit enables us to forgive others from the heart. From the heart. And we do know that everything isn't black and white. It takes time to forgive those who have hurt us deeply. It takes time, patience. And we, Lord, as a local body, as a, a local church, Lord, we need to be able to extend that same forgiveness to others, that same patience. We're going to meet a lot of people who have been hurt deeply. And I pray you give us wisdom on how to minister. And part of people in our congregation already who's been hurt deeply. And I pray for them, Lord. That they would know that you care for them. That you care for them. And I pray, Father, that you, Lord, will minister to them and heal them, give them forgiveness. I pray that you will release them from their fear, their shame, their guilt. Release them from suppressing what happened to them. Heal them of the anger, the bitterness, Father, so that they can be free. So they can be free, Father. Crash them up for